Super duper. All right, here's where we're, uh, here's where we're after today. I want to talk a little bit about faithfulness today. And so if there's, a, um, if there's one word that I would say I would love to kind of sum up my life, um, I would say faithfulness is the word. And when you think about faithfulness, guys, you think about uh, constant, you think about steady, you think about, um, you know, just a, 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 a consistent presence. They stay the course. You know, I remember, um, gosh, I'm going blank here, David Brooks, a uh, great writer. Um, he wrote a book on character. I've referenced that before. If you've never read this book, I'd encourage you to do that. But at the beginning of that book, he talks about eulogy virtue and resume virtue and the difference between those two. So resume virtues is those, you know, things you put on your resume to people to be impressed about so they'll hire you, right? And most likely at your deathbed, they're not going to be talking about your resume virtue, right? They're not going to, hey, this guy scored 36 on his ACT. You know, that's just not, who gives a rip? You're dead now. That doesn't matter, right? You're not going to be, not that that's important. I'm not downplaying that, all right? So, uh, but what they'll talk about is virtues that talk about your character and who you are and what kind of presence you had with people. And at the end of the day, I think faithfulness is what I would want to describe me. Uh, this week I went to a funeral. Um, I didn't officiate this one. I was just, a, just went to it. Actually, the, the guy's name's Cam Potts, who took my place as a student pastor at LaGrange Baptist Church, uh, was a part of leading him to the Lord when he was in the seventh grade which is just a beautiful story, just a, a great um, testimony of God's faithfulness and goodness and grace that I get to see a little bit of that. Um, but he actually officiated this, story, uh, this funeral, and he's the grandson of the individual that died. So the person that passed away a week ago last Saturday is R.A. Bell is his name. Uh, here's a picture of him. He was 90 years old when he passed away. And he was, um, I mean, I don't, here, I'll give you one small story, and the only reason I can do this is because we don't have to be anywhere. Uh, and the nine, I'm always, the feast is on my mind. So I promise I'll be short today. I'm not going to be too long. No, it's a quarter to 12. Bear with me. But here's one little story that kind of gives you a picture of him. Uh, Cam was sharing this story that whenever he preaches uh, on Sundays, uh, his grandpa, his granddad, Ari, would tell him, said, I want you to look in my way. And every time you look my way, I'm going to blow you a kiss. And so, so when, you, when you hear that, you're going, oh, man, how sweet that is. What a kind granddad to blow him a kiss in the middle of preaching. But he said, actually, it was an acronym that meant this, uh, keep it short, stupid. And so that was the reason why he would blow him a kiss. And that's kind of a picture, a little bit, of Ari Bell. Man, such a unique character. Uh, but here's what I would say as I was in that, uh, attended that funeral. Uh, here's a man who was faithful. He was married for 66 years. Mary Lou, his wife's still living. Married for 66 years. And here's another one that was kind of like a shocker in our day because our day is such a, such a transient mobile day. He's been a member of the same church for 63 years. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine the ups and downs, the hurts, the pains? The difficulties that he probably experienced and transitions of different new, new leaders and new people coming in. But, but R.A. Bell remained steadfast, steady, faithful. I think Daniel chapter 6, even though it's, it's you know, known for Daniel and the lion's den, right? I don't know if you, um, you grew up in Sunday school or not, but I, I grew up in Sunday school. And, man, we thought we were cutting edge when we brought out the flannel board. You know what I'm saying? Like... 
That's the way for us to be visual. <laughs> it's got to capture these young kids, right? You anybody remember the flannel board? Oh, I wish I could find one. I wanted to so bad. It's like I'd be wasting my time trying to find one this week, so I didn't. Uh, but yeah, you just remember that story just based on Daniel being in the lion's den, and it is. It's a powerful story, and we'll get to that here in just a minute. But I think at what's at the heart of what, what seems to be the primary theme of that chapter is faithfulness. And when you even step back and look at the whole of Daniel's life, starting in chapter 1, this is what you hear. You, he was a faithful man. I mean, a few places I'll show you in just briefly here so you think I'm not off my rocker and knowing that faithfulness is kind of the theme of this chapter. In verse 4, we'll read this in just a minute. Uh, but, but the enemies, people that do not like Daniel, they call him as a person as trustworthy, or another translation of that is he's a faithful person. Verse 10 uh, you hear this kind of a refrain of Daniel's life. As he had done before, there's a consistency, a constant, constantness about him. Verse 13, the accusers are reporting this, that he still, and I'm emphasized, still prays three times a day. Verse 16 and 20, uh, the king, King Darius, says this about Daniel, the God whom you what? Continually serve and so I'm emphasizing continually. There's been a, a faithfulness about Daniel's life over the course of, of, you know, 60, 70 years that he spent there in Babylon. And the other detail that sometimes we miss because it's not necessarily in chapter 6 that really sealed it for me as far as this being a chapter about faithfulness is this, is that Daniel was in his 80s. In Daniel chapter 6, Daniel is in his 80s. This is probably the third king that he served. Some make the argument that there was four, another one in there, but I'm going to stay with kind of what we see clearly in the scriptures. This was his third king. There was Nebuchadnezzar and Nebuchadnezzar's son, Belshazzar, which is chapter 4. His, his whole reign didn't last very long. You can read that story. It's pretty fascinating. And then we have him serving King Darius. A new nation has taken over power. Uh, now Persia is there. And where, where's Daniel? Where he was when he kind of started off when he was 15. <laughs> He's serving in the kind of a the government, he's faithful. There's something about his work that is unique and is noticed, so much so that even King Darius said, look, I want to make you second in command. I want to I promote you. There's something about the way you work that I want to rise, put you in a, in, a, in a very, very prominent position. And so here's the first thing I want you to see about faithfulness. I'm just going to bring out two things, and I won't be long here, I promise. Um, First one is this, is that faithfulness will require obedience. And in times, this obedience will be really costly. If we're at the, and I, I know, here, here's what I'm doing. I'm making a massive assumption here that you want to be found faithful. I mean, that's what I want. And so I'm making a massive assumption at the end of the day, that's what you want. And what we can see, and this is not an exhaustive list in any stretch of the imagination, but there is, and you should know this if you've not, on this yet you will faithfulness will require obedience to God and there will be times when that obedience will be costly I mean we see this I mean here you know you can do everything right and not everybody's gonna like you right if you're trying to live life where people will love you and like you I'm just telling you it's not gonna happen so here's Daniel who's done everything right but he's got a group of people that absolutely hate him and so he's got a group of people that are called the satraps they don't want him to be second in command and so they try to trap him and find something wrong that he's done in order to kind of get rid of Daniel. We see this in verse 4 where it reads this. 
the administrators and satraps therefore kept trying to find a charge against Daniel regarding the kingdom, but they couldn't find anything, no charge or corruption, for he was trustworthy and no negligence or you know, corruption was found in him at all. So they tried to find something within his work that he's done. Maybe there's some dirt a few years ago. Maybe he took a bribe, whatever. I don't know, but, but they couldn't find anything. They, there was nothing to find in his character and how he dealt with his work and he always did it with excellence, and so there was nothing there. And so as we see later on in the passage, the only way we're going to find a way to kind of get rid of Daniel and trap him is we've got to find a law, law with his, you know, his relationship with God that, will, that, will, that he could, you know, if he doesn't violate this, you know what I'm saying? Like if we can get him to kind of pit our laws against his law with God, then we can finally get, you know, something against him to where, you know, we can get rid of Daniel. And so this is what they came up with because they, they saw Daniel and the way he loved and the way he followed and obeyed God, and he saw his practices of how he did this. And so they came up with this decree, and they went to King Darius and said, hey, we got an idea. It's a good one. Let's make for 30 days. No one can pray to anyone but you. And if anyone prays to anyone else, any god or gods, or any other person other than you, then they're going to die. We're going to execute them. We're going to throw them in a and a lion's den. So King Darius, not knowing this is a trap, not knowing the full whole deal, King Darius being naive, loves it when people praise him. See what I'm saying? It's like, you know, just like all of us, it's, it's, it's present in there. Don't think you're above King Darius, right? Uh, he said, hey, good idea. And so he makes it a decree that for 30 days, you can't pray to anyone other than him. So it leaves Daniel with some choices. He could not pray for 30 days. I mean, okay, I'm just not going to pray for 30 days. God's not going to abandon him. His relationship with God is not built upon what Daniel does or doesn't do. It's built upon him looking forward to the coming of Jesus Christ and putting trust in that. So he could not pray for 30 days, or, you know, he could just pray silently, right? He can kind of be like a ninja prayer. <laughs> it's like, you know, I'm just going to pray to myself. I'll show them. I'll pray all the time. I'm in their presence. They'll never know. Right? It's like I'm inside. God knows. Or you can just hide. I mean, just pray at night. Get in your bed. Close the door, the windows, whatever you do, right? Just, just pray. Or he can continue to do what he's always done. Look what he says here in verse 10. When Daniel learned that the documents had been signed, he went into his house. The windows in its upstairs room opened toward Jerusalem. And three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed and gave thanks to his God. And look at this. This is, this is key. Just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel petitioning and imploring his God. And they, so they approached the king. Just as he had done before. So he didn't start praying once he found out about this decree, right? He didn't go in crisis mode, oh my gosh, right, what am I going to do? No, he just did what he had always done. I pray three times a day. This is the habit. This is the rhythm of my life. That's what I do. I'm going to continue to do that. He didn't do this as a way of kind of flaunting his rebellion, right? He isn't like the two-year-old that, you know, when we say, hey, do not touch that, and they go, I just touched it. What are you going to do about it, right? That's not what's going on here. 
This is, what's, this is his habit. This is what he did. This was his rhythm. This is, this is what Daniel did, and his enemies knew it because they went to his house expecting to see him praying. So they went to King Darius, told King Darius what was going on, and King Darius couldn't do anything other than to follow the decree that he had written. And he had to throw him in the lion's den. We'll get to that in just a second. But just to stop and pause here. Faithfulness will require obedience. And at times, that obedience will be costly. I know probably some of us in this room think, well, that's just really a no-brainer. Yeah, I got that. But I think sometimes we're kind of shocked by that, aren't we? Because we, just like Daniel and his three friends, we live in a culture that's, that doesn't adopt any of our values if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. They don't. It's, it's, it's foreign. It's, it's different. It, it's sometimes uncomfortable. And if you're not feeling that way, it's because you're fully assimilated in this culture in a way that's not healthy for you and healthy for your neighbor. You know, it kind of reminds me a little bit, I don't know if you guys, I've never been there, but I've seen the big sign in Shepherdsville where they got that big river and you can float on the tube down there. We did that one time in Tennessee at a camp that I spoke at. And it was a little intimidating, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, everything's great as long as you're on the tube and you're just kind of floating down. It's like, this is awesome, this is easy. But as soon as you get out or you try to go somewhere where the current's not taking you, it's like, I'm going to die, you know what I'm saying? Like, it is so hard, and I just want to say, like, that's how it should feel for us as followers of Jesus Christ here. If you genuinely follow him, you're going to be swimming upstream. It's going to be really hard and really difficult. Yeah, yeah, there's going to be times when we just we assimilate here. Daniel and his friends did. They didn't go off and create the, the Jewish subculture i am staying away from the babylonian people they're wicked and evil let's just do our own deal do you did you find a barber that's a jewish person we can get a haircut from them did you guys find a mechanic no like i'm trying to be silly and goofy hopefully you're catching with me i'm not saying that's wrong but that's not what they did right they're, daniel's in the government they probably dress like them they eat some of their foods they read their books they were educated by them in jeremiah 29 god said hey look be a part of the people here. Don't go off and just kind of create a little holy huddle. No, you're going you're gonna to be here for a while. Marry, eat their food, hang out with them, enjoy. But then there's going to be times when you're going to have to say no. There are going to be times when you're going to have to stand up and say, this is too far, this is not me, this is not who I am. And when that happens, that obedience will be really hard. And it's going to be costly. I mean, maybe none of us in this room will ever be in a situation where it may cost our life, you know, our obedience will cost our life. We may, most of us in this room probably will never be in a situation like Daniel and even his three friends were. But here's what we do know, right? We know this. There is going to be times when your obedience to God is going to cost you a relationship. Where your obedience to God will cost you a position where your obedience to God will cost you status. 
where your obedience to God will cost you any kind of like, whatever you want to call popularity. Where your obedience to God may mean you're taking a path that's going to be really difficult and painful. But here's what I've learned about obedience. I've been a, Mar- uh, I've been a Christian for close to 40 years. My, God saved me when I was 7 years old. Well, I guess it's a little over 40 years. Like, do the math, wow. Um, and here's, when I look back, guys, and I'm not trying to, like, toot my own horn and any kind of stuff, because I'm in process just like you guys are, and this journey's been, you know, two steps backwards, one step forward, and stalled and weird and all, all kinds of stuff. It's a journey that all of us are on. But here's what I have learned, that any time I can look back in the 40 years that I've been walking with the Lord and God, by his grace, gave me the power to be obedient in a moment that I needed to be obedient, I never regret it. I've never looked back on a moment and said, man, I sure wish I wasn't obedient to the Lord in that moment. I totally regret that, right? But I can look back over the 40 years of my life, and even now, I can give you experiences and situations where I chose not to obey, and I knew exactly what I'm supposed to do and what God was calling me to do, and I chose to do my own thing. And those moments are regrettable. There's wounds, there's pain, there's several relationships. I've never met anyone in 30 years of ministry on this side of obedience that regrets it. I've never sat down with someone who's told me, man, I was obedient the other day, and I just hate that I was. No, never. But I've sat down with a lot of people in 30 years of pastoral ministry with tears running down their face, regretting their disobedience. So yeah, faithfulness will require obedience and it will be costly, but listen to me. (laughs) Disobedience will be costly also. Do not be naive. That just because, hey, the day after or months after or even years later, you feel like nothing came about of that disobedience, look, guys, look, God has so ordered this world and put woven in the fabric of the DNA of this world that what you sow, you will reap. Faithfulness will require obedience to God, and there will be times when it will be costly. Secondly, faithfulness will require hope. Now, I know it sounds kind of weird, but, but, but hang with me. Look, look what happens here. I love, I love how the rest of this story kind of contrasts the, the king with Daniel, right? The king is pictured as one who's freaking out and fretting because Daniel's going in a lion's den, and, and Daniel's kind of pictured as one who's just kind of at peace. And I know I'm, trying to, I'm kind of reading into the text, but I think the absence of the writer giving us what's going on in Daniel kind of gives us some freedom to think there's kind of a peace about him. And I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't think that's probably how I would be. You know what I'm saying? Like, and, and we got to remember, like, this isn't just like one little lion you know, or these are not like little baby lions, right? You know, it's not like I can get in there and survive. I can, I can dodge. He's 80. 
right? I don't know anything about being 80, but I do know this. As you get older, you're not as limber, right? It's not like, ooh, I can dodge him, right? You know, it's like, he's 80 years old, you know, so he's, he's not going to be dodging anything. He's not going to be David and do like a little smackdown on some, you know, lions. It's not like, no, but, but all of that is absent, and I think it's sort of on pers- purpose that it's showing us something about the very trust that Daniel has in God. I mean, look at this. Look what, he, look what happens here. Verse 14. So as soon as the king heard this, he was very displeased, and he, and he set his mind on rescuing Daniel and making every effort until sundown to deliver him. And he's got like, I, I got to change this. I mean, I love this guy. I mean, he's like the stud in my whole cabinet. I got to keep him alive. And so he's trying to see if there's a loophole here or is there something I can do to make this not work. Can we go feed the lions first and make them hungry? I mean, make them full before Daniel gets in there, you know. Can we just put the small ones in there? Maybe, maybe. I, I, he's just trying to think of everything. You know, I'm making up stuff here right now. I'm just trying to say, well, what would I do? But nothing, nothing happened. He couldn't save him. He couldn't deliver him. In verse 16, so the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. And the king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you continually serve, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the the king sealed it with his son's signet ring and with the signet rings of his nobles so that the nothing in regard to Daniel could be changed. And then the king went into his palace and spent the night fasting, no diversions, or some translations say no entertainment, was brought to him, and he could not sleep. So here's Darius, King Darius, fretting, freaking out, trying to find a way to save and deliver Daniel. Goes and spends an entire night without any sleep. And then Daniel's in a lion's den. And what you want, or at least what I want, is you want the narrator to not spend so much time on King Darius. You want the narrator to go and tell me what happened to Daniel. Like, what did he do? Like, how did this, how did this go down? You know, what's going on with Daniel? So we don't have any idea what's going on. All we can do is speculate. And what I think we know is happening to Daniel is what happened with his friends. There's a confidence that God has the power and the ability to save. Now, will he? I don't know. He doesn't know. There's no guarantee. He didn't get like a vision of the night where like, just same with his friends. He didn't get anything like, no, hey, resist, you'll be okay. They're going to throw you down there. I'm going to come and do this. No, he, didn't, he doesn't get a vision of what's going to happen in the future. He just knows, hey, God has the ability. He knows Psalm 91. He knows God can protect him and save him. I don't know if he's going to, but I'm going to trust him and be obedient to him because therein is where life is found. I'm going to be at peace. I'm going to trust. Verse 19, look what happened here. So at the first light of dawn, the king got up and he heard to the lion's den. And when he reached the den, he cried out in anguish to Daniel. Daniel, I mean, he's just hoping maybe, maybe something's happened here. Something crazy, I don't know, I'm hoping. Daniel serving the living God, the king said, as your God, who, whom you continually serve, been able to rescue you from the lions. And then I would say, shockingly, right? I'm sure, I'm sure he wasn't expecting this, but shockingly, here, he heard Daniel. Daniel spoke with the king. May the king live forever. May God, my God who sent his angels shut the lions' mouths, and they, they haven't harmed me, for I was found innocent before him, and also before you, your majesty, I have I've not done harm. 
And the king was overjoyed, and, and he gave orders to make, take Daniel out of the den. And, and when Daniel was brought up you know, on a rope, you know, he's brought up. It was a big, deep pit. I don't know if you can imagine an 80-year-old man hanging under a rope, getting lifted up, but it would be kind of an interesting sight when Daniel was brought up out of the den. Look, I love this. He was found to be unharmed. And it's, it's the same thing that the writer's trying to emphasize. Remember in Daniel chapter 3, uh, when those three guys came out and they didn't smell like smoke? Here they are in a furnace, and they don't smell like smoke. It's like, okay, that, when I barbecue, smell like barbecue, right? They don't smell like, but the same thing with, it just shows us it wasn't like some kind of human power of Daniel where he spent the night for eight hours, ten hours wrestling these lions, you know, avoiding them and, you know, doing the ninja stuff as an 80-year-old man. No, it, there was none of that. He was unharmed. There wasn't any scratch on him. No tearing of clothes. It was miraculous where he trusted and it's God. So faithfulness requires obedience to God, and sometimes that obedience is going to be really costly. Faithfulness requires hope. And here's why I say that. Because if there is no hope, there is no, um, there is no fuel to stay the, stay the course, to remain constant. If there is no hope, then there is nothing that we have to keep us faithful. Hope is necessary for us to stay the course because faithfulness is going to be really hard at times. Are you following me? Wendell Berry, love him as a writer. He's from Kentucky. Isn't that awesome? So, I don't know, maybe some of you guys will think it's awesome. I think it's awesome. You know, I love it when we have some home breeds, whatever. Um, but he says this, man, he's such a good writer. He says this, having hope is hard, harder when you get older. Why is that? Because there's been a ton of disappointment. There's been times when you were expecting this and you got that. There have been times when you had your hopes set on this and it didn't get followed through. Like, I'm not downplaying 20s but man the 20s are exciting years of your life because there's a lot of hope man you got dreams you got visions you're going to do this you're going to make this happen and you get 40 and for a lot of us or even 50 you realize that none of those came to fruition one writer talking about this quote says this when you find that all when you find that all that you hope for does not happen, that sometimes the worst things happen, what then? When we discover that our best hopes have been disappointed, what then? Some of us choose versions of stoicism, which is basically numbing yourself, or cynicism, deciding for very good reasons, I've had enough, but others, with surprising grace, choose to keep it, Hard as it is. And that's what we see with Daniel. And yeah, maybe I'm reading in between the lines here, but I don't think so because of what we see in the first part of the chapter where it talks about the, the very spirit of Daniel. And that very spirit of Daniel, yes, it's talking about God's spirit being active and alive with him, but it's also talking about something about his presence. There was something about being in the presence of Daniel that just you wanted to stay there. And I think some of that is because he's a hopeful person. He's, he's full of hope. If he's cynical, who wants to be around a cynic? Right? I mean, I'm saying like you just try to avoid those individuals. Or, or if someone's just kind of numb, eh, I'm not going to have any highs or any lows. I'm just going to be 
Like, who wants to be around Eeyore, right? I mean, love the guy. Thank you for him. But, but you, are you following? There's something about being in the presence of Daniel that, 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 that just felt hopeful. And you see this. He's not a man who's turned into being bitter and cynical, but he was a person who was full of hope. And the reason why is because he he knew the stories of God and how God had been faithful over and over and how God had been faithful to him. Because here's, I mean, this is not a trick question. I just, I want the honest answer here. How is this story, chapter 6, Daniel and Alliance Den, how's that supposed to end? What's our expectation? He's supposed to die! Right? I mean, I, like that's the problem sometimes with familiar stories is that, is that we lose the kind of the tension that the writer wants us to feel here. We know the end, right? You know, it's like when you went and watched, you know, the end game Avengers. You know, like if you know the end, all the tension and like, who's going to die? I don't know. <laughs> is it him? You know what I'm saying? Like, if you know the end, you just go through it. Oh, okay, yeah, so-and-so dies, he's out of here. Or, you know, like the, the first Star Wars movie that came back, and if you haven't seen it, lad, I'm going to spoil it here, but it's been out for a few years. Han Solo dies, right? You know, it's like, I hope you don't send me a bad email. But, but here's the, like, like the whole thing, kind of, if you know that going in, you lose all the tension. And that's what happens with stories like this. If we've grown up in church, here's how we do this story. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Daniel, you know, gets thrown in the lion's den, blah, blah, blah. He gets saved by God. He, yeah, he doesn't die. And then we just go on, right? It's like, stop for a second. This story is supposed to end with Daniel dying. Not a wonderful death. I mean, I've been bitten by a cat. That's not pleasant. It's not. They're so unpredictable. I hate them, right? You never know what you're getting with a cat. They can be loving one second and wah, they're on you, right? Because these are lions. He was supposed to be ripped apart. And we see in verse 24 that when he throws in those that try to accuse Daniel, when the king did this, and all their family, before they even hit the ground, the lions ripped them apart. That's how this story is supposed to end. But it doesn't, because there's God. Like you see this, I and mean, sometimes we forget this in verse 22, when, when the king goes and says, hey, are you alive? Look what Daniel says. My God sent his angel. He didn't yell back up there and say, yeah, I'm 80, but man, I did some dodging all night long. It was amazing, right? Oh, yeah, I learned some ninja moves. Man, I just knocked those bad boys out, man. I found a rock in here, super special. Well, you know, that's not, he just says, God sent an angel. Sent an angel and shut the mouths of lions. Yeah, they wanted to eat me. Yeah, they wanted to have me for dinner, but God sent an angel, and then at the very end of this, the king confesses in verse 27, he, talking about God, rescues. It's God who delivers. It's God who comes through. It is God over and over, stories upon stories upon stories that speak to this truth and this reality that God comes and surprises us. 
This is what we expect the ending to be. And all of a sudden, God sends an angel, shuts the mountains of lions. This is not how it's supposed to end. But that's what God does. He saves. He rescues. He comes in in ways that we would never expect Him to. And knowing these stories that we have in our Bible is supposed to fuel hope that then helps us be faithful in seasons and times where it feels really dark. And God's not coming through. You see what? Like, if I'm you, because I did this this week, right? I'm going, yeah, it's easy for Daniel to be hopeful. Blah. Yeah, you're like, yes! I mean, he's got three buddies. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who were supposed to be, you know, torched, right? Can you imagine getting with them after that happened? You know, I don't know if they did accountability or whatever. Just got together to hang out and drink a beer. I don't know what they were doing together. Can you imagine the conversation? Oh, yeah, man, we were supposed to be torched. And there was another guy. Can you just imagine that? So he's got a story within his lifetime that he witnessed where God saved in a miraculous, powerful way. And so we can look at this and go, yeah, of course he's going to be hopeful. I'll throw him in the lion's den. I got it. No big deal. Man, you know, those guys in fire came out. They weren't even smoking. You know what I'm saying? Right? You do have those stories. Chapter 6 is one of them. Daniel and the lion's den is not just for kids. That's what we think. Oh, it's a nice little children's story. Let's put it in a children's book. Let's do like a veggie tale about it. Let's put it on a flannel board. All these precious kids. Hey, look what Daniel did. Look how God saved him. This is for the kids. But when you get 40, this is like blah, 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 fairy tales. No, it's not. These are the stories that God has given to us as a community of people to rehearse and know that there is always hope because God is always in the picture. That, yeah, you expect the ending to be like this, but hey, hello, there's a God who's always at work, and he can come in and surprise you just like he surprised Daniel. Like, guys, I... I don't know, maybe I'm speculating a little bit, but I'm just telling you what, I don't think Daniel's sitting back going, all right, where's the angel? Where's the angel? Come on, come on. No, he didn't know what was going to happen. And all of a sudden, the angel here, boom, shut the mouths of lion. Wow, that's not what I was expecting. But thank God he came in. This story is not for just kids. It's for every 15-year-old in this room or it's going back to school here in the next couple weeks, and you feel the pressure to conform. And that pressure's real. You feel like you are swimming upstream. And you're asking questions, can God really help me? Can he really give me the courage to stand up where I need to stand up? And I'm here to tell you, not because of some just primarily subjective experience, but objectively I've seen over and over in the scriptures, stories upon stories upon stories where God does that. The story is not just for little kids. It's for every 25-year-old in this room. Who The reality is, is when they look back, even on their young teenage years, they made some stupid, dumb decisions, disobeyed the Lord, and they're wracked with shame and guilt. And sometimes we're going, man, 
Is this going to be my story for the rest of my life, just feeling guilt and shame about something I did 10 years ago? And I want to say no. Why? Because there's a God who restores, who redeems, who offers forgiveness, who took your shame on the cross. All of it. So that you can be a free person and not be trapped and shackled by this horrible thing of guilt and shame. This, these stories are for every 35-year-old in this room who still feels trapped by an addiction that started when they were in middle school. And they think, oh, there's no hope. This is my story. This is how it's always going to be. And I want to say no. Why? Because there's strength in you? Because, oh, if I just do this or this? No, because you have a God who you serve that steps in and does the unexpected. These stories are for every 45-year-old who feels like they're stuck in marriage. There's no hope. Things are not going to change. And look, please hear me, man. I know there's got to be a lot of nuancing to this, and, and I'm not trying to make you feel bad at all, but just, just hear me. What if, what if God is saying, stay? I can't see how it's going to work. I, don't, I can't either. But we, we have a God who brings in unexpected ways, things that we never would have anticipated. That's why faithfulness requires hope that our God can come and change. So please hear me. Don't take that too far than what you need to hear it as. I just want you to understand that sometimes just because you're 40, you know, 45 or you've been married for 15 years and you feel like you're stuck and nothing's going to change, I'm just encouraging you to remain it may get better or it may not. This story is for every 65-year-old in this room whose relationships with their child is strained and it's difficult. And you've owned what you needed to own and you're working hard at this relationship, but it's still strained. Is there hope? And I want to say there is, yeah. Because if you're in Christ, and if your son or daughter is in Christ, that relationship may never be what you desire it to be, but there's going to come to a day in the new heavens and the new earth where you will be able to kind of have the relationship that you longed for with your child on this earth. So we have a hope that's just not these 80 years, guys. We have a hope that extends beyond that. It is for every 80-year-old in this room whose physical body is deteriorating. And you're going, is there hope for me? And I want to say, yes, there is. Because there's a story that trumps Daniel's story. There's a story where Daniel's story is pointing to, and that story is this is that God took on flesh. He became the God-man, Jesus. And He came and lived on this earth, lived the perfect life that we should have lived, but He did that on our behalf. He went to a cross, and He died for our sins, not for His, but for our sins. And He was put in a den. He was put in a cave, stone over that. And three days later, guess what? God delivered him. God raised him from the dead, and he defeated the most powerful lions in our lives. You know what the most powerful lions in our lives are? Sin. Sin is a, a cancer that is wreaking havoc in our lives. 
delivered Satan from us and all of his hellish crew that desires to see your destruction. And most importantly, he delivered us from death. My 80-year-old body does away with and it deteriorates on this earth. Death is just a little pathway, a little door into life with God where my body will be given a new resurrected body and it will never, ever, ever have disease, sickness, pain. I'm not sure. Maybe we might be able to fly. We might be able to. There's going to be some amazing things our bodies could do in the new heavens and the new earth because they're no longer wrapped with sin. That is the hope that we hold on to. It's not some wishful thinking. It's a person. And that person is Jesus. And there are stories upon stories that we need to rehearse so that we can be faithful. Because at the end of the day, that's what you want. And that's what will be a, a beautiful blessing to your neighbors, your family, and your kids. Faithfulness will require obedience and it will be costly at times. And faithfulness will require hope. Let's pray. Yeah, Lord, just in the quietness right now, I just want to spend just like maybe a minute where you can just be still and just kind of linger before you. Father, help us. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we end here, we um, remind ourselves of the story of what God has done in through Jesus and partaking of communion. So if you're a follower of Christ, we ask you to come forward, break a piece of the bread off, dip it in wine or juice, whichever your conscience permits. The wine is always marked by twine. But if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, then we just ask you not to take this meal, but that you would consider taking Christ, that you would receive him. We always have leaders that will have a lanyard on uh, that will be in the back that would love to talk to you more about what it means to be a Christian, to pray for you. You know, whatever's going on in your world, in your life, we would count it as a privilege to spend time praying and talking to you. So, church, whenever you're ready to take communion, you can stand up and come forward.